Well, I'd like to start off by thanking each and every one of you who participated in the service this morning. You all did wonderfully. Thank you very much. Amen. Whether it be music, whether it be reading scripture, uh, whatever you did today, you did well, and God appreciates it. And I want you to know that each and every one of you is capable of doing things like that. (laughs) You have the training, you have God's spirit, you are capable of coming up here and participating. And I wish that you would in the future. I would like on a weekly basis to have more of our members come up and participate somehow. You all have stories to tell, you all have blessings to share. Please come up to me if you want to volunteer sometime and just do your thing. But it makes the service so much more, I think, enjoyable and having boring old me up here all the time. But uh, thank you once again. Well, we're about to have the main message, which will be a shortened one today. But uh, let's start with prayer. Lord, thank you so much for our congregation how you have gifted every individual in this congregation, how you have worked with them over the years. And Father, we're all capable of doing so much. Uh, Let us have the courage to step forth and and let you guide and direct us to, to share with the congregation in whatever way we can, because it's all to your glory, God. So thank you so much. And please inspire our message here today. And uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to turn to the Gospel of Matthew this morning in chapter 11. Of course, we know there's a challenge with this season of the year because uh, people can get burned out trying to celebrate Christmas. So early on, we start to hear the advertisements about, well, I guess it starts on Black Friday after Thanksgiving, where it's all about merchandising and selling and buying and And uh, it just wears you out totally to see all the commercials and the advertising and the ads and and so on. And we can get so uh, carried away with other stuff at this time of the year. Like I said, we should be able to cut through all the fluff. Anything that isn't God or isn't about Jesus Christ really doesn't matter that much this time of the year. Sure, it's okay to give gifts if you show your love that way to others. But uh, we can't miss the main message of this season. It's about Jesus' birth. It's about the incarnation. It's about the salvation uh, of the world. You know, the story of Jesus' birth teaches us about his personality and character as well. Don't forget, we're in the process of becoming like him. So we should take note of some of the lessons we can learn about Jesus in this Christmas story. Everything about the story of Jesus' birth runs contrary to the way we would have planned it. You know, if, if God would have said to you at some point, okay, I'm going to send my son to be, to be born here on earth to save the world, you plan how that happens. Well, first of all, he's God, he's the king, so he should be born under such circumstances. There should be a lot of uh, honor and glory shown him right from the get-go, uh, you know, he should be received uh, by the kings of the world and, and everybody who's anybody on the face of the earth should come and worship him. That's not the way it happened. He didn't come at a time in history when Jewish people were a strong nation. He came when they were despised and ruled by a pagan empire, the Roman Empire. He wasn't born and raised in an important city, but born in Bethlehem and raised in Galilee, 
which a lot of people considered to be the other side of the tracks. Remember, one leader said, can any good thing come out of Galilee? So it was kind of a joke. People snickered, you know, behind the scenes thinking, this is supposed to be the Son of God. This is supposed to be the Messiah. And yet these are the circumstances of his, his birth. Jesus was born in embarrassing circumstances. The impression was given that he could have been an illegitimate child. And many people thought that he was and accused him of, of being that. Joseph had to go to Bethlehem because everyone who had to go to their family's hometown to be count, con, counted for the census. Where were all of his brothers or cousins who could potentially have helped Joseph and Mary? Did you ever think about that? If this was a family thing that the family was supposed to travel, why weren't family members traveling with them? Maybe they were. Maybe they were just behind the scenes. But it seems that Joseph and Mary, along with the Christ child, were like an abandoned family, abandoned by their own family and friends. Not only was there no room at the inn for Mary to give birth, but he was born in a stable and placed in a manger or a feeding trough for animals. The angels appeared not to kings, but to shepherds of all things. Shepherds were the lowest level of society in Jesus' day. They were so despised by society that they weren't even allowed to testify in court. No one trusted shepherds because they constantly wandered from one region to another. Shortly after Jesus' birth, Joseph and Mary had to flee to Egypt to become refugees. Egypt was the land of slavery and outcasts. And when it came time for Jesus to die for our sins, he chose the most humiliating way, the cross, which was reserved for common criminals. So there's a lesson to be learned there from the way Jesus was born. And here in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus voices it when he says in verse 29, Matthew 11, verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Focus on that word, humble. Jesus, who is the Son of God, could have come with all magnificence and, you know, noise and grandeur. He could have planned the greatest arrival on earth that the earth has ever seen, but he didn't. He chose to come in a very humble way. Jesus taught us that whoever wants to be great should become a servant. So can you imagine as the apostles experienced the Son of God, the Word who has always existed, kneeling down and washing their feet? What a feeling that must have been to have God who is the creator of the whole universe, the Son of God, stoop down at your feet and wash your dirty feet. But that's, that's the Lord that we worship. Jesus set an example of humility and a serving attitude that we are to follow, that we are to follow. You know, we are humble, but often we don't realize it. We think pretty highly of ourselves, uh, on a regular basis, we think we're special and we want to appear as someone who is special. 
until something happens in our life that we call a humiliating experience. Have you ever had a humiliating experience in your life? You know, we could tell stories of different things that have happened to all of us where we were kind of put in our place and we were knocked down from this high a tower that we thought we lived in and we were kind of brought down low. And sometimes God has to do that to us. Why? Because he's teaching us to be like Jesus is. He's a servant and he's very humble. He came into this world under very humble circumstances. But Jesus' birth is not only a story of humility, and God is changing us into Jesus' likeness, so he's taking advantage of every opportunity he has to humble us and to bring us low. Jesus' birth is also a story of self-sacrifice. So not only are we called as Christians to be humble like Jesus is humble, but we are also called upon to sacrifice as Jesus sacrificed. There's a beautiful section in the book of Philippians. Let's turn there right now. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. We read here about the self-sacrifice of Jesus. It, I'm sure, had to be a strange experience for him because as John says in the beginning of his gospel, Jesus, the Word, had always existed. He never had a beginning, and our minds can't comprehend how God can be eternal, but the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have always existed. There was never a beginning with them. But at some point in time, it was decided upon by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that something had to be done to atone for the sins of this human race that they had created. So Jesus decided that he would be the one, or the Father decided. I don't know how they came to that decision, but it was the Word who became flesh. And it tells a little bit of a behind-the-scenes story here. Uh, Paul writes to the Philippians, Philippians 2, verse 5, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So let's read about his self-sacrifice. Who, being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or elsewhere translated something to be held on to. So he was willing to put aside all that divinity, all of the praise that he was receiving in heaven for all time, and whatever else goes with being God, we can't even imagine what that life must be like. He was able to put that aside, considering it not something to be held on to, and he, in a sense, gave it up. Verse 7, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So what we are right now, compared to what God has been for all eternity, we're nothing by comparison. And I don't mind admitting that. Jesus made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. So you can imagine when the plan of salvation was mapped out by God, it was tough enough to put aside your Godhead and come down to be born as a human being. You became dust like this 
race of people that you created, made out of dirt, not only did you become that, but the plan also included you dying a very painful and tortuous death on the cross. So you talk, talk about self-sacrifice. Jesus did that. So he says in verse 9, Therefore God exalted him, because he did that and succeeded in the plan of salvation for mankind, God now exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Talking about those in their graves. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So understand the type of life that God has called us to. We're to follow in Jesus' footsteps. He was humble. He didn't pride himself that he was the son of God. He didn't push that on other people. He didn't brag about it. He didn't lord it over anybody. But he was humble. And furthermore, he was a God who practiced self-sacrifice. And you know, sometimes we're called upon to sacrifice, to esteem others higher than ourselves, to look to the needs of others more than we look to the needs of ourselves. And I know some of you have lived that in your life. Some of you have cared for relatives who maybe were sick or elderly or a mate or a child that had physical problems. And again, you know, I always think of uh, the Grenters and how Lee and Louise Grenter spent their whole life in service to their son and never considered it to be a problem or a hassle. That was their lifestyle, service to their son. For those of you who didn't know the Grenters, they had a son who had severe handicap problems. He wasn't able to function in many ways like you know, the rest, but they gave their life to him and never complained, and I thought well, that was one of the most outstanding examples of self-sacrifice I've ever witnessed. But it happens every day, people do that. Jesus did that for us. And you know, you know, there are certain portions of Christianity who feel that Christianity is all about being blessed in so many ways that your life should be prosperous, that, that you should enjoy fine things as a Christian and all you have to do is say the right words or say the right prayer and God's bound to make this happen for you. That's not the lesson that I learned from Jesus' birth. Jesus, as the Son of God, was a humble individual who didn't mind self-sacrifice. And he did it for the benefit of others, not for himself. And finally, the third lesson that I can share with you today, Jesus' birth is a story of God's love, first and foremost. And this gets to the whole reason why Jesus arrived on this earth as a human being, as a baby born in a manger in Bethlehem. John 3, verse 16, the scripture that we know so well, it was all about the fact that God so loved his creation. He so loved his world that he wasn't going to let us just suffer in our sins and suffer a death penalty because of our sins. And we've all sinned. There's none righteous. No, not one. But it says in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So God loves us. We can be thankful that God is such a loving God. So many cultures throughout history have worshipped gods who were angry most of the time, who were vengeful, who uh, you know, loved to see people suffer. And so in cultures throughout history, you had people who sacrificed their children to gods or you know, cut themselves or brought pain upon themselves somehow to try to please their god. Our god isn't like that at all. All of that other stuff is Satan-inspired. Our God loves us. He's a just judge, but he loves us. So the reason he sent Jesus Christ to this earth is out of his love for us. He wants us to be saved. He wants us to live forever with him. But yet we have to believe. Jesus died for the whole world, but it's only those who believe in him that shall not perish but have eternal life. And that's the gospel message that we have been called upon to spread far and wide. So in Jesus' birth story, we learn the lesson of humility. God has called us to be humble and to enjoy it. And if we're not humble enough, be ready to get knocked down a couple of levels. God will see to it that that happens. So when you get humiliated in your life, rejoice. The second lesson, of course, is that we're to live a life of self-sacrifice. Look to the needs of others. Look around you and see what needs to be done, how you can serve others. And thirdly, God's love. And we need to make sure that we love God, that we truly love him, and that we love one another with the love of God. You know, uh, the day after Christmas, the stores are lined up with people returning gifts. And many gifts are returned. And unfortunately, many have rejected the precious gift that God has given us. That is Jesus Christ, his son. Amen. Let's make sure that we are thankful every day of our life. And that we get the most out of this season than anybody else may. You know, it's not just the music. It's not just the gift giving. It's not just the celebrations and the family get together. Those things are all good. But we need to deeply appreciate the gift that God has given us, the greatest gift of all, the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Lord, thank you so much for this season. We know that our society is becoming less and less godly. It's becoming very secular and people don't like to talk about God or certainly celebrate anything about God. But here at this season of the year, we see an inkling in society. We, we see maybe entertainers that we appreciate singing songs about Jesus. We see people being generous toward one another, giving gifts. We see people wishing best wishes to others at this time of the year. And that's a good thing, Lord, because it represents you. Because you're a loving God, a humble God, a self-sacrificing God. Help us more precisely to follow your example and to learn the lesson from that and from this time of the season. Thank you that you're our God and we are your children through Jesus Christ. And we look forward to the time that we're going to see you face to face and we're going to live with you for all eternity. And Father, uh, in the meantime, just let your Holy Spirit fill us to good deeds and the works of service. We want you to know that we love you. 
we appreciate you. We pray this all now in Jesus' name. Amen.